We're in the book of Titus. I don't know how many of you have uh, gone back and forth over the years in either the church you grew up in, uh, maybe in your adult life you've been to different churches. Um, I would say this, around the globe, you run into churches that have great distractions, great problems because of dysfunctional or weak leadership in the church. And usually when there's dysfunctional or weak leadership in the church, you see disagreements, arguments, dissensions over sometimes ridiculous things. And some of you might say amen to that because you've seen ridiculous things in churches when leaders do not lead. Uh, Here's a list of some churches, true stories, of things that they have fought over over the years. One church fought over whether or not to build a children's playground or to use that land to build a cemetery. One church argued to, and uh, in a meeting, the church members and the leadership vo- argued and finally voted to decide if the clock in the back of the sanctuary should be removed or not. <clears throat> there was a very heated uh, ch- church argument at a business meeting that the leaders were leading with the church because the church budget was off by 10 cents. And the argument raged until finally someone said, look, here's a dime, <clears throat> take care of the problem. Some of you know where we're going with this because you've seen these things in churches. Uh, One church got in a big argument and fight because they accidentally, instead of buying grape juice for communion, they bought cran apple grape juice, and the argument was, can we use that on Sundays or not? They didn't even get into an argument over wine or not. Uh, Another church, it took two business meetings, so coming from churches that used to have very long business meetings, these can be annoying, but it took two long business meetings to resolve an argument in the church whether the church should purchase a weed eater or not to take care of the weeds outside the church. Two different churches had fights over coffee. And I've heard this number of times. People love their coffee. And so the first church I read about, they had an argument because they went from Folgers to supposedly a stronger Starbucks brand. And I'm like, how do you get any stronger than Folgers? The second church had a fight about coffee simply because they moved to a stronger blend and some members left the church over that. Another church had an argument among the leaders and the church members because They didn't know if they should use the word potluck or they should use the word pot blessing. So they had a fight over that. Some church church members left a church after a major fight and split because one church member did not want other members to use the vacuum so this person would hide the vacuum in the church. There's a couple more. A church argued whether to have gluten-free bread for communion or not. And that's not just one church. I've seen that with a a whole bunch of churches over the past years. Was reading of a church in Georgia on May 3rd, 2017. They had to call the police ahead of time to the service to keep the peace in the church service. And while that happened, literally a fist fight between the elders, the deacons, and members broke out because they were taking a vote that day to fire the pastor or not. So the police had to stop the fight and say, there's no vote today, go home. I mean, imagine church leaders fist fighting. Um, Last two, a a fight over a church uh, that they had an argument with their elders and their leaders over whether they should allow people to wear black t-shirts since everyone knows that black is the devil's color. 
which is not true. It's God's color. He created color. Um, Last one. One church argued whether the church should allow deviled eggs at a church potluck. Oh, man. And we laugh about these, and there's a whole list of very sad ones. I just bring before you ridiculous things were churches, and there's no leadership. They do not have healthy leadership. They have dysfunctional. The fact that a church would argue over deviled eggs and leaders would allow that to happen in the church is just absurd and ridiculous. The leaders are not doing what they're to do, which is to shepherd the flock. And so you need to see that as we go into Titus, and this week the first of two parts on elders and overseers and pastors, that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He builds the church, and he is the one who puts leaders in their place. And if there are not shepherds, overseers, elders, pastors in the church to lead the sheep, the flock entrusted to their care will leave, will eat the weeds, they will die of hunger or thirst, they will leave the flock for greener pastures. And so if you would turn to Titus, if you're not there already in chapter 1, the Apostle Paul has sent this letter to Titus, uh, which is one of his disciples. It is not only a personal letter about the church, but we see at the end of the letter this was for public distribution as it's addressed to all of the church. Uh, Today, you will see as we read this, and he's on the island of Crete, um, his charge in Titus is to protect sound doctrine and for the church to practice sound doctrine. And therefore, when you hear me say elder, overseer, bishop, shepherd, or pastor interchangeably, they're all the same title. Now, I know some of you will hey, let's have some arguments. We'll get to those in a minute, but we're going to go to Scripture here. We're going to read verses 5 through 9, and the scriptural truth this morning is this. God's leaders must model Jesus' high standards for believers to follow. Titus chapter 1, verse 5 through 9. This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it, the word of God. Father, again, we ask that you would bless the reading and the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. So two things we'll look at today is the appointment of elders and secondly, the characteristics of elders. A church, you should pay attention to this text I think many people just go, oh, that's about leaders in the church. No, as the body of Christ, you should pay attention to this text. You should look to the elders of the church that are leading and see if they do qualify, and you see this in their life. And so let us look here at verse 5, the appointment of elders. The Apostle Paul says to Titus, he says, the reason I left you in Crete is to keep things in order, to put things in order in the church and appoint elders in every town in Crete. Crete is this island we talked about last week. There were multiple cities there on there. Uh, Titus is from there. 
And there are also a lot of trouble that's happening on the island and within these churches. Most likely, these are newer, younger churches. And so Paul, for some reason, is leaving on this missionary journey and says, Titus, you're staying. You're going to take these qualifications in each of these churches. You're going to look for men who fulfill these qualifications, and you're going to appoint them. You're going to ordain them. You're going to put them in those places for the church. When it says set in order there, in verse 5, it's a picture of a dentist or an orthodontist, in a sense, straightening your teeth. For those of you who have had braces or have braces, you know that may not be the most fun, but this picture of straightening things is what he is to do. Turn to Acts chapter 14. In Acts chapter 14, as you're turning there, in the book of Acts, you have a record of Christ building his church through the apostles and everywhere they went. A large portion of Acts has the journeys of the apostle Paul as he went from city to city preaching the gospel as churches were built, then placing people in leadership positions that qualified in these areas. In Acts chapter 14 is one example because it covers Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. And you can read through that chapter where he has a lot of issues and problems with the people for preaching Jesus. But look at verses 21 through 23. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had, there's Lystra, and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so they're in Derby. They had already gone through these other three churches. They come back to these churches, and he places uh, elders in every city. And one thing to pay attention, when we come to the word elders, we'll break it down here some, but in the New Testament, when the word elder or elders is used, when it says elder singular, it's one of the apostles saying from the elder to this church. But every other time in Acts and in the letters, it says elders. So churches are to have a plurality of elders. They're not to have one elder. And sometimes a young church begins with an elder but needs to move towards having more elders and not let that go on for years and years because it's, not, it's out of line with Scripture. We want to stay with what Scripture plainly says, and therefore, as this church here at Discovery, we have a team of elders. We have four, uh, five of us. I am an elder here at this church. In the Alliance denomination, the qualifications for any pastor is the qualifications of Titus here, 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 5 is the duties you'll see at the end of your bulletin there. I have given you an assignment to read those texts this week. And so, as you see that here in this church, we have five elders. I serve as one of them, and also I am um, on staff in the sense paid, and we'll look at that as well. But Paul went into the cities. His practice was to preach the gospel as people were saved, strengthen the church, and then set up leadership as we see here in Titus. Look at verse 5 again of Titus chapter 1. It says, appointing elders in every local church on the island there, in every town as I directed you. And the reason for this is that sound doctrine would be protected in the church and practiced by the church. And if you look at this uh, uh, in um, uh, verse 9, 
We won't get to that really till next week, but the purpose of this, it says, he, speaking of the elder, must, be, must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Look at verse 10 and 11 of chapter 1. The churches there in Crete had problems because there were people with problems, because there were people who were sinners, and they were affecting the function of the body of Christ in life. And so verse 10 and 11 says, For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. This goes hand in hand with every letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the churches and says, watch out for false teachers. Look at the problems in the church. Identify them. Bring sound doctrine to direct it so that the church would practice it. Don't uh, go off on some other type of pet project. Stick to the truth of God's word so that it would be applied and lift out. How is the body of Christ, the sheep, the flock entrusted to the under shepherds in the churches supposed to follow the leaders if the leaders are not preaching the word of God? The elders of the church are to guard the doctrine of the church. They are to teach and preach that. And that the church is to see that, to learn, to grow, and apply it in their life. So church, this is of utmost importance that you pay attention to Titus chapter 1, to the direction, the qualifications, the duties that are given to the group of men that Paul commands Titus to do and put in place there's also a sense of urgency when you read the structure of this text. <clears throat> and one of the things that you have is this problem with the Cretans. And again, he'll, he'll, we'll look at this more in the weeks to come. But doctrine is being attacked in that sense of how they're living their life. And therefore, the elders must take a stand on the word of God <clears throat> and hold to the truth of Jesus Christ now, some churches have teams of elders who shepherd the flock, like here at Discovery. Some churches in our alliance denomination and other churches will have elders, and then they will have a governing board, people who are not elders, and people who make decisions regarding ministry of the church, and the elders do not. They do some shepherding functions. There are other churches who have um, deacons. We won't talk about deacons this week, but they have deacons who lead the churches, and they don't have elders. There are some who say, we don't need elders, we don't need deacons, we'll have a pastor or a group of pastors. Some just gather a group of men and women and say, lead the church. And I will tell you that when you see churches that are not in line with Scripture, they have dysfunction, they have problems, and the truth of God's Word is not upheld. Instead, you have so many other things that people seek after. All kinds of psychology, self-help. How can you make me feel better today, pastor? What are we going to do here? And so that's why we stand on Scripture alone. I can't tell you anything else other than what Scripture says and directs us about elders this morning. I could give you all kinds of articles, all kinds of books to read. I could tell you, read this, read that, and all this. But simply, Paul says to Titus, Install elders into the church. Do it in this way, by these qualifications, and hold to that. And in that, there's protection of doctrine. And prayerfully, the flock is following Jesus as the elders follow Jesus. 
and they are also growing in their faith. I just remind you in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, that Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the body. So Jesus Christ is the one who's over all. And that's in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23. The elders are under shepherds, as First Peter speaks of, as other passages in the book of Acts, and they are under Christ's leadership placed in these positions. So let's look at a few words here in verse 5. It says, appoint elders. The word elders. Um, I, I might have a slide up there that has elders and overseers, and there you go. So I'm, we'll leave that up there for a minute, and I'll point, talk through a few of these. Some of those you'll see, it's uh, uh, the word elder, the Greek word presbyteros, and then that's how to pronounce it on the, the next one over, and you'll see each one of these. It's important that you pay attention to these things, even if you're like, I don't know Greek, I don't know Hebrew, I don't know these things. You need to just look at this at a deeper level than just the English wording here. But elders, uh, generally, it can mean the older of two men that are standing next to each other in that sense, or advanced in life, a senior, uh, a term of rank of office. Some would say someone with a beard. I'm like, I don't know. I don't like beards too well. Uh, uh, only Levi could be a, a, an elder because he's got a beard. Um, but, um, you know, an older person generally. It also is referenced when Jesus speaks of the Sanhedrin or the council when he's talked about the elders. There's also references when Jesus speaks of elders who are over cities, uh, not in a, uh, a, a religious type of sense, but those who are leaders over the church. And fourthly, it is referring to elders like Titus here who are in churches, Christian churches, presiding over the assembly of the churches. And so he mentions elders, but also see verse 7, which we'll go to next week. The word overseer, or your text may say bishop, is the same word, episkopos, or episkopos, a man who's charged with the duty of seeing that things are to be done by others uh, that are done rightly. Elder and overseer are used interchangeably in 1 Timothy chapter 3, in Titus chapter 1, Acts chapter 20. Again, I put it at the end of, and I've also worked out a sheet. You'll be, I'll have uh, it emailed out this week. Every single text where these words are used, you need to read context. And so some of you are like, man, why are we going into this? Just get back to the stuff. I'm like, it's important. You need to know these things. If I don't get through my notes today, we'll just end it. We'll pick up next week. But elder, overseer, and bishop, as in this text and others, are the same position. Men who are qualified according to Titus and Timothy and these other places. The New Testament uses the terms bishop, elders, and overseers interchangeably. And all of them are charged with shepherding the flock. And every time in the New Testament there, when it's not referring to the Sanhedrin, it's referring to that in the local body of Christ. <clears throat> in Acts chapter 20, verse 17, it says, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So again, I'm going to point out, every church is to have elders, plural, appointed to lead the church, not singular. <clears throat> elders. Acts 20, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. 
The reason that we know that these things are interchangeably, and again, when you get a, uh, an email with this this week, and if you don't get the emails, you need to fill out a card and put it in today if you want this sheet that I'm working on, is those, if you go back to those three words that we had up there, they're used interchangeably because they're given the same duties of the church continually over and over. You don't have elders who say entertain the church and then it says over here bishops or overseers, you guys teach the church and then shepherds over here are supposed to make a potluck happen. No, it doesn't have that. It's the same charges uh, around. Put that slide back up please um, with the uh, three different words there. The third word is shepherd. can be a herdsman or a pastor. The word poimen or poimen I can never, I listen to these things and, uh, and I still can never pronounce them as I'm supposed to. Um, but you have, this, um, you, you have this term which people are more familiar with in churches as pastor. Um, if you would uh, turn to 1 Peter chapter 5, we see this word. Uh, the word pastor is only used one time in the New Testament. That's in Ephesians chapter 4. I'll reference that uh, next week. But only one time is the word pastor in English used, but yet pastor is the most familiar thing in the United States or maybe churches around the world. The pastor is the guy who's up front. Most churches don't say the elder is the one that's up there teaching or these elders. They say the pastors. The rest of the time that that word is used, it's referencing a, uh, a shepherd. First Peter chapter 5 gives us the duties of the shepherd of the elders, of the overseers, of the bishops, of the pastors. Verse uh, 1, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And again, we'll look at it next week, but when you go to Hebrews, elders, overseers, bishops, pastors in the church, one day must stand before Jesus and give an account to how they shepherd the flock of God entrusted to them. Not that any elder can save anyone. Christ alone is the one who saves but the elders are charged with the spiritual growth, the spiritual care, to guard the flock, to guide the flock, to feed the flock with the word of God. And for that, they will stand before God and he will judge them for how they took care or stewarded and cared for the flock. And when I read these texts, when I read these qualifications, when I read these duties, I know for myself as an elder, these things are quite intimidating at times. Sometimes the pressure mounts and I know from talking with the elders here that we've talked about these things. These are heavy requirements in one sense, in a great sense. And briefly before we look at these qualifications, <clears throat> I need to point out that there is much confusion and many problems, especially within our denomination, over the title of elder, overseer, bishop, shepherd, and pastor. There is 1 Timothy 5, it says, verse 17, 
and 18, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Briefly on that one is this, is the apostle Paul said for the elders who are involved in the preaching and teaching because of the extra time that they're paying, that they're worthy of pay in that sense. But not an elder, there's no requirement to pay an elder. There's no requirement to pay me. And some of you are going, yes, I'm going to stop paying pastor. It'd be a blessing if you continued to help support the Taylor family. <clears throat> um, but an elder, there's no requirement. They're to do it just freely of their heart. An elder is just supposed to serve. And I think of these young churches in Crete Elders being put together. Could elders really support them? You know, the Apostle Paul, for a while, he did two jobs in the sense. He went out, shared the gospel, set their churches in order, encouraged them. But he also did tent making. He had a separate job on the side. And so some churches and pastors, uh, elders, find themselves in doing bivocational um, work in that sense. <clears throat> in that text when Paul's writing there in 1 Timothy 5, though, um, when he talks about labor... It's this sense of the elders who work to fatigue or exhaustion, specifically those who are studying the word. And therefore, the preaching and teaching of the word by the elders of the church, uh, there, there must be great study and, and into the word of God so that it would be right <clears throat> before the church. But a wrong view would be this, is again, too many people think pastors who I pay to preach and do ministry... Um, Better put in their 60 plus hours a week. It's okay if I do my 40 at work this week, but they should put in 60. Um, I've never felt that pressure here. But I know that churches do put pressure on pastors, paid elders. And there are pastors over the years I've spoken to that are worked to the ground. And if there's a fear of stepping away from 50 plus hours or 60 hours in a week, oh, someone's going to get on me. Someone's going to, you know, and, and, and what happens is they're doing so much other work outside the church on top of all the studying those things that it's no wonder that every single month there are hundreds of pastors in our nation who resign and never go back to pastoral ministry, or they go away from ministry for a time because the church has a wrong view of elders, pastors, shepherds, and bishops, and they make it a CEO position, a position that they need to take care of finances, they need to take care of facility, they need to come to my house and wash my car, they need to go walk my dogs, they need to go do all these things and go feed all the homeless people that are living over here, and they need to spend 40 hours a week preaching, I mean, studying to preach. That is really a sense that is, is weighted on many. Again, I've never felt that here. I'm so thankful to be serving with a group of elders and be at this church that I've never felt that pressure. I've actually had elders protecting me, saying, go home and spend time with your family. Go watch that softball game. Go spend some time with your family because you'll see here, if my family's out of line, then I'm not to be an elder in the church. If I can't manage my household well, there's no reason I should stand before you. <clears throat> Do you feel the weight and the seriousness of these things? <clears throat> and I think um, because this is the first church in 25 years that um, there's healthy spiritual leadership here. I've served at four other churches. 
that have wonderful people. I love them. Some of them are watching online right now. That's why I want to make sure I say that. But dysfunctional leadership. Unhealthy leadership. Churches with no elders. And then the wonder why there were struggles. Um, I'd say this. um, Elders are not honorary positions for faithful church members who they've been here for so long. They're like, hey, let's make them an elder. Elders are not uh, a board or committee that gets together like the elders and I do usually twice a month and say, all right, let's sit around. What are we going to make the church do? Let's vote for something. I, I, I should I'd say hate. I don't like committees. I don't like groups and boards and yet I serve on different boards to help with ministry stuff and it's like no we're charged with shepherding the flock so yes we're also charged with overseeing hey making sure we're because of state laws that finances are in line so yes every month we have to review those things we have to see those things we have to approve of those types of things but I'm thankful that as the elders here gather we pray we read the word Once a month, we review the finances, and we pray for the church. And yes, when we have to make a decision and we have to vote on something, we do. But our default is not to vote on something just because you get together. I love the men that I'm serving with. I'm so thankful for them. And one of the things that we see here is that the elders are charged to guide and guard and lead. And then he says, here's how you find those men. Look at verse 6, the second point, qualifications of elders. Qualifications of elders. The one thing I'll say from the beginning is in all of these qualifications in the different texts I've listed for you on the bottom of the bulletin on the back side, nowhere does any of the scriptures say elders are to be perfect and sinless. And I'm thankful for that. Because all elders have flaws, have weaknesses, battle with sin, just like you do every week. You might think, oh, those elders, they're at this level spiritually. Um, An elder is tempted with the same sinfulness that you're tempted with throughout the day and week. They're normal people. They are not guys with Superman capes that go meet upstairs. So you can call them, you can talk to them. I think one of the, th- the things I'm thankful for over the years is when someone has come and talked to me and later like, there's like some fear or something and they're like, oh, you're just a normal guy. I'm like, thank you. I'm not a Superman guy, super Christian with like a cape with a super C on it or whatever. I'm a normal person that by the grace of God has been saved by Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ has come, was born, fully God, fully man. He went to the cross in obedience to the Father. And it was there at the cross where Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross. And it wasn't the physical suffering that he went through. It was his blood that was shed. And his blood was shed so that his people would be forgiven. And so I'm forgiven of my sins because of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for me. Nothing I could ever do I couldn't go to enough classes. There's not a certain prayer that I could say. Jesus says, believe in him. I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ declared, 
and I believed in Jesus Christ. And that's how any of you, if you're a Christian in this room, are saved. However, the many hundreds of different stories, how you ever you heard the gospel, but the clear truth is that by faith, we are saved. And Romans says that we hear, we must hear. So you must hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the rest of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only he died on the cross in our place for our sins and shed his blood, that through faith in Christ you could be saved. But is Jesus dead? Man, you guys hesitated on that. I thought after three years you would be ready to finish that sentence. Is Jesus Christ in the grave? He is risen. And thank you, because it's not Easter morning. And Jesus Christ has ascended to heaven. He is ruling and reigning. He said he's returning. And for all who have faith in Christ alone will be saved. And one day be with him for all eternity. And that's the first qualification for every elder. It's not on the list there. But if they're not a Christian, you don't put them or nominate them or vote them in to an elder team. And I'm amazed that there are actually churches that tell stories of men who were on elder boards for years and then they find out, oh, they were never saved. And you're like, that doesn't happen. Yes, it does, church. If churches can have uh, fistfights over coffee... They could put a non-Christian on their elder board. And so that's why we hold to these truths. Let's look briefly here, the qualifications of elder. It says, if, elder, if anyone is above reproach. Again, it doesn't say perfect, faultless, or sinless. We do not appoint elders in the church because they're great businessmen or great communicators. We do not appoint or ordain elders in the church because they've attended church forever or because they have some seminary degree. We do not appoint elders in the church uh, because they get a lot of work done. Elders are appointed because they fulfill the qualifications of these. And if you read 1 Timothy 3 this week, you'll see the first one. It says, a man who aspires to the office of elders. 1 Timothy chapter 3. That elders are not just, okay, you twisted my arm. I'll serve on the elder team. No, they actually aspire to serve in the body of Christ. All right, I'll fulfill it because you've got to have at least four more people. You know, No, they aspire to the position. And it says if anyone's above reproach, look at verse 6 there. It means that they cannot be called into account. They're blameless and unpeachable. So when the elders are about the town and in the world and in this city, there's nothing that would be brought against them that could impeach them in that sense that their life is above reproach. Again, not perfect, but there's not some great uh, sin that is being brought that would disqualify them. He repeats it in verse 7. So as we'll see next week, you need to pay attention. Whenever Scripture repeats itself, whenever Jesus repeats himself... Pay attention. Here he says it above reproach in verse 6. And he also goes on uh, and repeats it again in verse 7. For an overseer, again, overseer elder, as God's steward, must be above reproach. Look at verse 6. The husband of one wife. The word husband. Specifically in the Greek. Let me be very clear with you. The word husband. It's with reference to sex of a male, a husband, a betrothed or future husband with reference to age and to distinction, an adult man, not a boy. And I'm not saying this to be funny because this is coming to churches. 
we're not talking about a woman who feels like or identifies as a man. And I know that some of you are like chuckle about that. That's the reality of our world. There are churches who are folding today because they're willing to have a female who says she identifies as a man and an elder and place her in a position which the clear scriptures in the original language say we're talking about a male, born a male. So I know I'm getting intense. And people will say, where's the grace? God's grace abounds to many. God's grace abounds. His love is great. We are to love our neighbor as ourself. But church, do not cave from the simple truth of God's word and the gospel just so that you can have a better relationship with someone, so you can get farther in your work, whatever it may be, if you need to take a stand, take a stand on the word and trust Lord God Almighty, if you get fired, if you get kicked out of your school, if you whatever, you lose that friendship because you're in love holding to the word of God. An elder in the church first is a Christian and a male. Can't say it any other way. This will be upcoming um, I've mentioned it before, our denomination has a problem right now. A great problem because there's an argument over who can be a pastor. And again, we'll study this this week, and this is why there's part two next week. The alliance is moving to council next year to bring before the council of churches, which a statement which I'll get ready for you and get to you, it's like seven or eight pages, where women will be able to be ordained as pastors if it gets passed by the denomination. I didn't sign up for that when I came into this denomination. I didn't go through ordination because I cannot find any facts or truth or scripture to back that a pastor, elder, shepherd, or bishop is a female. That's not some prejudice. That's not some horrible thing. That's not some woke argument. It's just plain scripture. And the argument is not a cultural, that's what Paul did 2,000 years ago. And we, No, it's not. It's just scripture because scripture is for us today. The book of Titus was for the church there in Crete and the book of Titus is for you, church. And so here's some trouble that we already have. Like this is our Alliance Life magazine. I just want to throw them all away. And they're probably going to, someone call me if they're listening now. Um, there's an article in here. And there's a woman who wrote the article. There's some great articles that have been written by women in these magazines. And yet here it says at the end, I won't say the person's name right now. It says that she is the pastor of formation at Hope Midtown, which is a huge church in our alliance. And she offers spiritual direction and coaches. And she preaches and teaches in her church and on and on. The reason I point this out is because we have a number of churches in the Alliance who are already giving the title of pastor to women in the churches. So there is a great movement in a liberal theological way within our denomination. And some of people in this room don't even want me to mention this stuff right now. I love being part of the Alliance. I've only been in the Alliance for three and a half years. I'm so thankful for the Rocky Mountain District and our, our director and the pastors that I serve with. But if this denomination moves to ordain women as pastors, I will resign my ordination because I do not believe that Scripture supports it. And if the Lord guides the elders of this church 
to bring before the people of the church and say, at some point, this is what the Alliance is doing, and we are going to take a vote to leave the denomination. Some of you who are members of the church will have to battle that. And so do you understand the seriousness where we're at? I know some of you are like, oh, let's have some joy today. Hey, I was praising the Lord as we're singing. I love the fact that we can celebrate that Christ is our Savior. At the same time, we can't take this stuff lightly. <clears throat> and so, husband of one wife, it means, it means he is a one-woman man. Now, here's a few things that happens with churches when they look at this. Then they start figuring out who can actually be on the elder board or not. Because Paul is not saying an elder who is a widower... Um, He's no longer married, uh, that he can't be on there. It also doesn't say that he has to be married to be on the elder board. If you read Romans chapter 7 and 1 Corinthians 7 and 1 Timothy chapter 5, um, there's nothing that would go against an, uh, an elder whose wife dies and he remarries, says that he is disqualified or sinful in that manner. There was an issue of polygamy in that time. And so you do have some sense there when Paul says a one-woman man married to one woman. If he's married to a whole bunch of women there, I mean, imagine the chaos that he brings to the church. And I heard you laugh about that. Um, he could be also arguing against an elder who's been divorced and remarried but it's not explicit in this text. We would need to go and read Jesus says about divorce in Matthew chapter five. And Jesus is very clear about divorce. The only reason that Jesus gives for divorce is if there is sexual immorality. And then he gives the ability for that person to have to uh, be uh, divorced. But Paul is guarding over this unbiblical type of divorce in one sense. So he's not requiring that they must be married. But he is saying if he is married, he is married to one wife. And if he is to be married to that one wife, even if he's lost a wife in the past, that these things are all within Scripture. Verse 6 is quite weighty, though. It says, And his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Read 1 Timothy 3 this week because it talks about the family and the children. No elder can make their children believe in Christ. No elder can make any, any child believe in Christ. I pray that all my children would believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and follow him all the days of my life. I can't make my children, my wife and I cannot make our children come to Christ. No elder can. But what he says here in verse 6 and also in 1 Timothy 3, actually look at verse, uh, it should be on the screen, verse 4 and 5 of 1 Timothy 3. It says, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? If my household is in disarray all week, I have no place to come and stand and preach here. If any of the elders and I and our families are out of disarray, and it's blatantly happening, and the church sees it, and our, and our city sees it, and, and things are showing up in the Missouli on Saturdays. It's like Pastor Paul Taylor and his family and all this stuff. It's like they're disqualified. Again, it doesn't, uh, it makes me think of uh, uh, this guy, uh, he was a priest. Uh, his name is Eli. In the Old Testament, read 1 Samuel chapter 2. 
It says this about Eli, who was a high priest. It says, now the sons of Eli were worthless men. They did not know the Lord. And when you read that, his sons served in the temple. They were priests. They were leaders. And the word of God says, God says that his sons were worthless men, and they were leading the church. They were sleeping with the women. They were stealing the stuff from the people and the meat and all these things there. And Eli was this leader managing the household of God. His sons who are grown, and he, he kind of slaps them on the hand and says, guys, you shouldn't be doing that stuff. And what happens is his sons die. He dies because he's, uh, he's so fat he falls over uh, off of a stool and breaks his neck because of all the stuff he finds out. And God just wiped these guys out. The question is, is the elder above reproach regarding his children's behavior? I've known elders serving at churches, in different churches, and their children were not Christians, but their households were in order, and that's what you may pay, must pay attention to. <clears throat> it says there, uh, going on verse 6, um, it says, uh, not, or it says uh, oh, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. Here's the example. If you want to know if their children are out of line or not, debauchery or dis- dissipation. It means uh, not to be uh, uh, so overtaken by strong drink or wine specifically, even though Paul tells Timothy, hey, drink some wine for your stomach. There's no bar or ban on Christians drinking wine or alcohol. There is if you start drinking so much that it affects your abilities and your senses and you get drunk. Scripture is clear. Ephesians chapter 5, it says, do not be drunk with wine. So the pastors, the elders' church, children are not to be in that. Insubordination. They're not to be so out of control and rebellious that they are not obedient to their fathers and their mothers. <clears throat> we'll stop there. There's so much more. I, I would say <clears throat> over the last 20 years, um, this has been an area because I've seen so much dysfunction in churches and weak leadership and ridiculous fights and stuff like I read to you at the beginning. Um, This is a passionate truth of God's word for me. Of countless hours, what does the scripture really say? It is so upon my heart and desires that the elders in this church would be qualified and they would love the church and shepherd the church And that as other leaders are in places like deacons and deaconesses and other small group leaders, whatever these, that they would be under the care and guide and direction of the elders. And so what I'd tell you this week is, um, you might say, okay, a lot of great information, pastors. Email me that sheet this week with all the verses. Um, I would ask you this. You need to respond today. You need to respond to the word of God. And first and foremost... As a Christian, you need to pray. And you need to pray for the elders and I. Brent Reimer, Tim Arthur, Joel Bowden, Levi Jenkins, and myself. In a few minutes, in a few minutes at the end of the service, they're going to come up, we're going to pray, um, and they're going to join me. I know that you pray, church, but would you pray even more? Would you pray for the elders and future elders? to be raised up in this church. 
And over the next couple weeks, we'll talk about all the other leadership positions, but would you pray specifically that men would fulfill these qualifications, they would aspire to the position, and when you read the rest of the stuff next week, again, in verses seven through nine, it gets, again, really weighty. But I'd also like you to do this. Would you pray? And number two, here's your other response. Read through verses five through, uh, five through nine this week, and would you look at your life? Would you ask yourself, every one of these qualifications, do I see these in my life? Now the, the husband one, so ladies, skip that one. Am I a woman of God? But I believe that every one of these qualifications should apply to every single Christian's life. Therefore, would you take this list? Would you please read? Would you come back prepared next week? Look on the back of the bulletin. Read the bottom, the, the list of there. Boy, there's so much more, and, and, and we'll, that's enough for today. It's, it's a, a head full of stuff, isn't it? But would you pray? And would you look at those questions or those te- that text and ask yourself, Father, show me how these apply in my life. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we ask for help. <clears throat> we ask that you would help us to grow in prayer for the elders of the church, to grow in prayer for all the leadership structure in the church. We ask, Father, that you would also this morning call those who are lost to you, that they would believe in Jesus Christ as the only Savior, as the only God, and they would be saved by faith alone in Christ alone. Father, for all of my brothers and sisters here, I thank you for each of them. I love them greatly. They are great brothers and sisters in Christ who are so encouraging, who pray for the elders and I. Father, may you answer my prayer that they would grow in their walk with you, that you would continue to sanctify them and work in them and make them holy. Father, would you protect all of us here for the temptations that abound? Would you protect us here from the attacks of Satan and the demons? Would you protect us from the rest of the world that hates you? And may we be a people that stand for your glory and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.